My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 27 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. Hey everyone, what a treat we have in store this week. Our special guest is two-time Olympian, six-time world mountain running champion, eight-time world mountain running Grand Prix winner, and president of the World Mountain Running Association, and all-round good guy, Jonathan Wyatt. And on top of that, we've got our in-house coaching genius, Rene Borg, talking to us about deliberate practice. It's box office this week, guys. Get your running gear on. Let's go. everybody how's it going this week and before we call in Rennie from his base in County Wicklow and then head over to the home of the greatest mountain runner of all time from his base in Italy a big shout out to Joe O'Leary and Kevin Leahy who have just completed what has been described as the longest hardest high level route in Ireland the Ivera Traverse it's not just a new route but also a new 24 hour challenge Kevin and Joe ran around for 22 hours facing all that the elements of nature could throw at them sunburn and wind chill over 47 summits 85 kilometers 7500 meters of overall ascent across rock bog and header header covered boulder fields with no paths or trails as was described by Connor Murphy who was keeping everyone up to date on the lads adventure and well done to Kevin well done to Joe in what looked like an incredibly tough challenge because where they were where they were running there are no trails these lads just ran where there was no paths no signposts just open mountain and wild terrain so well done to the guys well done to Kevin and Joe and looking forward to hearing more about that one over the coming days. Big news as well of course this week from our friends in UTMB and Chamonix with the announcement of UTMB joining up with Ironman to make the UTMB World Series. Lots of discussion, lots of debate online about what that might mean for the sport of trail running worldwide at both an elite end and for the normal trail runner if at all it has any impact for those ends of the fields probably more so maybe for the elite end i suspect i've listened to two interviews with michelle and katherine poletti this week on the subject and both have said that they are adamant that they will stay in control of the utmb event it's not a full sale to ironman nor do they foresee selling to ironman 100 of the utmb race to them over the coming years and and they will do their very best to try and protect the essence of trail running and the big party that happens in chamonix every year and one way that michelle described it was that he sees utmb becoming like the Tour de France of the trail running world deliberately not producing a world champion as that's not within their remit but trying to create the most competitive race in the world in trail running in Chamonix while also trying to ensure as many trail runners as possible get to run the race with get to run our race with a UTMB standard all across the world lots more different aspects of that announcement of course and I'm looking forward to hearing what the president of the World Mountain Running Association Jonathan Wyatt what he has to say on the matter and to get his take on it later on but for all of those Irish who are due to go to UTMB this year 
Catherine did say that she very much expects the race to go ahead. And before we call in Renee, a thank you to David Power who joined us on Patreon this week. And fair play to David on running a full marathon through the night from Cabin Healy, I think David started out in, as part of the Darkness to Light Challenge. And well done indeed to all of our listeners who took part in that in the early hours of last Saturday morning. If you would like to join us on Patreon like David did and lots of other great supporters of the show, have done do please check us out on patreon.com just put trail running ireland podcast into the search box and your help in keeping us going is greatly greatly appreciated okay sure enough chili chatter for now let's get on with the business of us all trying to be the very best trail and mountain runners that we can be and to help us do so let's call in our coaching expert from running coach ireland Rene borg How are you doing, mate? Yeah, not so bad, Owen. We have a handicap event lined up for tomorrow uh, here in our local club. You know, everyone just arrives at a, at a given time and they go run a, a course. So I'm looking forward to that. You know, it'll be a bit of a change of pace. Brilliant, Dan. How long is the race running? It's, um, it's a hybrid course of 39.5K. Uh, it was meant wow. to be the decider of the winter league that we had designed, you know, so it was meant to equal out the, the road runners and the hill runners, you know, so we have kind of half road, half trail. So it'd be quite unique, actually, as a challenge because, you know, normally it's one or the other. Brilliant. Well, I said there must be great excitement then amongst the club. Um, Glenn the Lock AC, I think, Rene, isn't it? That's right, yeah. So I'm sure everybody's excited to get back out doing a bit of a race in whatever format it is. Would you be racing yourself, Rennie, or would you be on um, referee duties tomorrow? No, I have someone else <laughs> I roped in to do it. So I, I will be going off for the pack. Yes, yeah, so I look forward to that. Especially, yeah. you know, the, the forecast was meant to be absolutely atrocious. We were meant, we were meant to be drowned. But now it's only a few millimeters. Very good. Well, I think, isn't it so important that we have little goals for our running, for our training, whether it's every week with our club or races, hopefully over the summertime. And maybe that's a bit of a segue into our topic for today. And it's called deliberate practice is the area that you wanted to talk about, Rennie. So I might just hand the microphone over to you to introduce the topic. It might be a topic that people aren't familiar with, but when they hear you talk talking about it they might realize that they're doing it already and if they're not they might gain something maybe from today's conversation yeah deliberate practice it's really the elaboration of the the basic idea that getting better at something is not just about how much you do it's how you do it you know it's not just the quantity the quality but it's a little bit more specific obviously and it was it was a term that was coined by my fellow Scandinavian a Swedish psychologist who was called Anders Ericsson he is unfortunately he passed there recently enough and most people actually know his work because they will have heard of the 10,000 hour rule which is something he coined in his early research you know and they looked they just looked at basically violinists of all people to see how many hours did they spend you know to reach kind of a mastery type of level and and the 10,000 hour figure came up and then they looked across you know sports and other disciplines of you know where you have to gain some kind of skill and they found similar trends but there was um there's two things that a lot of people didn't realize about this 10,000 hour rule. And one was that there was, it, that was an average. So that meant for some, it took 2000 hours and for some, it, you know, it took 12. And then the second thing they noticed was that the best performers didn't necessarily perform more. Like, so the average violinists actually, you know, would often spend as much time practicing 
And they noticed the difference was how deliberate. That's where the word came from. The elites were. They were just more focused. They made the training harder for themselves, you know, things like that. So they started to break down this process. Um, and then they started to get to look into sports as well, you know, to see, could you apply the same concept there? Does it matter, you know, how deliberate, how purposeful you are with your training? And I use the word purposeful there because the, the first time people really talked about this in a sports context was a British former international. Uh, I think he was a ping pong player called Matthew Side. He called it purposeful practice instead of deliberate practice because he said in sport, there's always one purpose. And that's the never ending progress to push the limits of your mind and your body. So he says that that was to him. He thought that term was a little bit more meaningful. But I think that's that's the introduction, Owen, you know, and and basically, as you, when you say, well, a lot of people already do this to to a degree, at least it's true, uh, because what one thing that deliberate practice involves is that you're always trying to stretch the skills that you have, you know, in, in a particular domain. So if we talk about running, that's the domain to a point where you're learning the next harder thing, you know, and you never allow yourself to be comfortable with the level of skill or ability that you have right now. So, so it's quite easy to see that how you could already be doing one of the key components of deliberate practice, you know, because we are, even if you have only the most kind of rudimentary plan, as long as you have this mindset that I'm always trying to make my running a little bit more difficult, you know, I'm always trying to see what can I do next, then the deliberation is in there. I think I saw it last night, Rene, with a new client, a new athlete through Running Coach Ireland, where she approached us there during the week and we were on a call last night. And she said to me, listen, Owen, one of the reasons why I'm approaching yourself and Rene is that I've just, I've just been pretty much doing the same thing for the last 12 months and I'm improving, but I'd like to see a little bit more structure. I'd like to get some feedback. And I think that's one of the key elements of deliberate practices, isn't it? That there comes to a stage where you'll get so good by just doing the same thing all the time. Maybe in a runner's case, I'm like this client last night, pretty much running around the same pace, similar distances all the time. But how we get to the next level through the theory of deliberate practice is it's maybe engaging a coach where you have somebody who's guiding you through these next stages, somebody that's giving you feedback. And then, as you said in your last point there, Rene, coming out of your comfort zone. And that's also a key point. So maybe two points to, to continue the conversation there, Rene, is one is using a coach to help bring you along. And then secondly, yeah, getting out of your comfort zone. And only by doing that will we improve as an athlete. Yeah, exactly. So the some of the requirements that they list for, you know, what to construct a deliberate practice is one is, of course, okay, you need to be outside your comfort zone. So that that's one. Um, and we've already covered that. But the other one is that you you actually need to have an extreme focus put into the training that you do, and you need to have a plan. And they do recommend in the various books that have been written about this subject, that first, it's by a coach or a mentor that helps you put this together. And only later when you get kind of a, min a certain level of experience, can you plan it out for yourself, right? So they consider that ideal. It's very easy to see why this is the case, let's say, if you learn to play the guitar, right? Because if it's just you sitting there um, trying to figure it out with 
<laughs> with no real outside help, it's really, really difficult, you know, and it's going to be really slow. So having the teacher there until you reach a certain level of expertise is really helpful. So it, it is, they, they, they believe that it's the same um, for, for runners. And in fact, the, um, what was the study? There was a study done by, um, on elites where they said that the kind of elite long distance runners, they were more focused during their runs themselves. So whereas amateurs, they said they tended to daydream or think about kind of pleasant subjects. They were trying to get their minds off the pain or the strain or whatever of the, the exercise. But the elites, they were really hyper-focused on how does my body feel? You know, what can I make little adjustments here to get a little bit more pace out of, of this run or this race? So, you know, so that means with the focus and the plan, it sounds like if you can have a coach to get you up to a certain level of expertise, and if you can put a little bit more focus into, especially your key workouts, you know, actually focus on what you're doing. Don't listen to a podcast. Don't, yeah. um, except now, of course, or, you know, don't, don't, don't try and dream your way away because you're so bored with the activity. They consider that key. You know, they, they are saying you'll get more out of your overall training and your workers, if you if you are that kind of connected uh, to the exercise, and then the third thing they mention is constant feedback. And this, it's, the way to imagine this is like take the guitar example. If you just sit there playing, um, but there is no, if you couldn't hear it, you couldn't get better. That would be the first kind of easy um, way to understand it. And you know, it, it's like this with every training. You can't know. Uh, whether you are improving if there's no feedback. So they consider feedback the rocket fuel, basically, for improvement. And that means trying to assess what you're doing, you know, so looking, for instance, at um, workouts after you've done them and say, what could I learn from that? You know, was this done correctly? What, how do I need to adjust it next week? And see, all of that is very difficult when you're inexperienced because you don't know what to look for. You don't know how to set the right targets, um, and things like that. And in the sort of process you have when you have any kind of coach, the coach is giving a lot of that feedback or you can ask for it. You know, you might do a run and you're not sure, was this right? You know, or what does it mean that I slowed down a lot at the end of this um, or I felt this or that way? But then you ask the coach and he gives you feedback and then you feed that forward into the next session, which then gets better. So that means you're always learning something. You're not just going out executing runs but you're learning new things about, you know, mastering this skill, you know, and this ability. And deliberate practice maybe for hill and trail runners, Rene, could be for your hill session, doing an extra two or three reps um, on your hill session. It might be doing a hill session on a steeper incline than you're used to doing it. Or if for your long run, it might be just pushing it out an extra 10 minutes, an extra 15 minutes to hit two hours. To hit two and a half hours. And I, and I must admit that last week, Renny, I was struggling motivational wise myself because I got terrible news um, from a racing point of view that my big target for the year, the European Championships in Portugal for the mountain running team, that was pretty much my whole target from December. Once I got back fit there last year, from the 1st of December up until now, 
all my training pretty much every day was, was focused towards trying to be in good shape to qualify to make the Irish team. And then if I did make the Irish team to, to do a good job over in Portugal, we got the news last week that the race was cancelled. I was absolutely good at Rene, absolutely good at because everything was building towards it. So just for a couple of days, I had no focus. I had no goal race which is a key part of what we're talking about, deliberate practice. So after a small period of mourning, if you like, I said, okay, well, listen, this week, there's no need to do any hard sessions because I need to sit down, think about what I'm going to aim for now, probably something in August or September instead. So, you know, what can I do this week to keep me going this week and get out every morning training? And what I did was for my long run, the max that I normally do, Rene, would be about an hour 45 at a push an hour 50. So I said, okay, well, this week I'm going to try and hit two hours, probably for the first time in about a year. And that was enough, Rene, just to keep me motivated for last week to go that extra 10, 15 minutes. And the body did feel it. It did feel going to that two hour mark. But there was a great sense of satisfaction and then well-being when I got home to say, oh, wasn't that great to see two hours go up on the watch for the first time in a long time. Now, I did have to slow down a little bit, as we've said a couple of times on the podcast, that to get those long runs in, sometimes need to slow down. But it's just a small example of maybe deliberate practice at play there. Yeah, actually, you talk, nearly all the elements are there, you know, because you can say your race being removed, it, it removes the purpose, you know, so we disconnect. Suddenly our runs are disconnected from a purpose. So that day we've lost a key ingredient. And um, then, as you mentioned, you know, to get outside the comfort zone in running, it's actually easy because we can all the usual things that we play with, you know, could we increase our volume? Do we increase the distance of our long run? Will we increase our training frequency? Will we try some more intensity? Will we add different terrains? Uh, will we focus a bit more on our running form when we do our easy runs? You know, all these things, um, they help, they create a little bit of a sense of excitement usually because I'm testing myself again, you know? Whereas if you're just executing something you know you can do, like where's the learning in that? And why is the body, like why would anyone think the body would respond to that? You know, of course it'll maintain fitness, um, but it won't push any envelopes, so the body won't expend any energy at getting better. Um, mm. And nor will the mind, right? Because we know the mind and the body are—they're both linked to performance. You know, it's not just the, the flesh. Um, so if we were to break it down for people, maybe a bit, you can say that the process of deliberate practice is you have to set a goal first of all that puts the purpose in place, and it allows you to have a task that you um, can focus the practice towards, and then you break down that task so usually it's a you know you could say the race you can consider like a complex task like playing a beautiful piece of music that has mm. to, to to be able to do that you don't start at the very it, it's hard to look at that and say well how do i get there so you need to break it into simpler chunks you know and that's what we do with our training plans we look at what are the chunks that can make up this beautiful song that is the the final race and yeah. we need to break it into simple enough pieces that you can do it often enough that you get better at it you know and that's why of course we that's why training works the way that it does you know that okay we have some long runs but not so long that you can't do them uh, repeatedly, you know, and we'll have some hard sessions, but we'll build them up in a way that we can repeat it, you know, and eventually it all comes together, you know, and it's no different really than when you learn to play the A, B and C chord, and then you learn to put them together, and then you learn the full song, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and, and you need this then, kind of what really wraps this is then, this will push out, you know, that needs to be challenging enough that you're out of your comfort zone, fine. And it has to force you to kind of problem solve a bit 
and provide something they call a meaningful, memorable experience, you know, with consistent feedback. So if, if just one example, maybe to finish this conversation on is um, mm. many, many years ago, Jerry Brady, who was high performance officer, took a bunch of people around the world trial course, which was on Troopestown Hill. And I went along, along with some other people who, 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 you know, we weren't there because we thought we could qualify. We just wanted to see the route. And yeah. there was um, a very, very, there's a very difficult descent there called the Scree. Um, and actually, I know that I think it was uh, Martin Bradshaw during the actual race, he fell there and dislocated his shoulder, you know, so it was a very, very difficult descent. And during that session, Jerry stopped us and he said, now I want you to run up and down this really difficult section three times. And he says, try and look for the best line, get the best feel for it. And that was the, f- the first time I had done anything like that in running, you know, where I actually had to really focus on a section and it was very noticeable after two or three times that it got easier yeah you know, and it clearly it was out of the comfort zone because here you had a difficult technical descent you know with hard rocks so if you fell you're really going to feel it you had to problem solve it it was meaningful because you know we were all we wanted to do this actual race two weeks later uh, and it was memorable you know it had all of the ingredients right there so if we had just run up and down a grassy slope you know it wouldn't have had all the ingredients, you know, it would have had the fitness ones, but the challenge wouldn't have been, we wouldn't have moved on, you know, from a technical level <clears throat> and we wouldn't have gotten any more prepared, um, you know, for, for tackling that on the day, for instance. Yeah. And maybe that's an example, Rennie, as well, of a key element of deliberate practice is that it's not just about natural talent, that you do have to work hard, you do have to do specific training, specific work, because in your example there, you could have had the most naturally gifted athlete on the day running that race. But if they hadn't have practiced that section, they could have come a cropper in the race itself and maybe the slightly less talented athlete, but the person who had ran up and down three times that day might've gained the advantage. So it's not just about natural ability in this case. No, it's not. And, you know, I know in in certain running sports, there's, there's less technical element, obviously, but, you know, as you can say there, you can still focus on, these tiny feelings, you know, what can I do with my stride here to just extract a little bit more speed from this 400 meter rep? Or you could, you know, sometimes when I do uh, hill reps on the same piece of slope, the first one kind of gives me an idea of the best pacing. And then I try and adjust a little bit in the second rep and in the third rep, you know, and that's a meaningful experience again, you know, because you really have, because when you go into races, that's the sort of thing that the body remembers, you know, do you hone your pacing skills and your pace judgment um, and things like that. You know, I even remember a cross country guy back in the day, this was New Zealand where, they had um, fences on the courses, you know, they didn't open them. So one guy couldn't vault these and he decided then to spend a year practicing his vault because there were six fences on the course and he reckoned he would gain six seconds per lap if he was a fast <laughs> vaulter and right enough apparently because he won the race then the next year, you know, so it's uh, this, this sort of attention to detail because a lot of races are won by a few seconds. Brilliant. So. <laughs> Well, well, listen, Renee, thanks a million for that again today. Um, enjoy your, your racing um, this weekend with your club. And we look forward to maybe a race report in our next show. Isn't that nice to say that we have something to report on race-wise? And I'm sure, Renee, you're going to enjoy our interview coming up now with the great Jonathan Wyatt. I know you're a big fan of his.
Yeah, huge fan. You know, one of my great heroes and inspirations when I first started mountain running. Yes, I definitely will be tuning in for that. Yeah, okay, listen, thanks for meeting Rene, and we'll talk to you next time. If anybody wants to get in touch with Rene, you can get him through Running Coach Ireland. Rene, thanks a mil. All right, thank you. My name's Sarah McCormack. My name is Brian Fury. My name is Nicola Duncan. My name is Zach Hanna. My name is Mark Ryan. I'm a mountain runner. 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 Hi, my name is Harriet and I'm a mountain runner. You're listening to Trail Running Ireland. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. For our listeners who have been mountain running for a long time, our next guest is a legend of the sport of mountain running. Some have been fortunate enough to even share a start line with him, while others have looked on in awe and great respect from afar. For our listeners who are maybe new to the sport of trail and mountain running, our guest this week is a six-time world mountain running champion, eight-time world mountain running Grand Prix winner, president of the World Mountain Running Association and two-time Olympian. So sit back and enjoy everyone, or even better, settle into cruise mode if you are out running and enjoy chatting to the very best of all time, Jonathan Wyatt. Jonathan, it's a real pleasure to have you on the show, to have you on Trail Running Ireland. Our first Olympian, Jonathan, and of course, six-time world mountain running champion. So a big welcome on behalf of all the Irish mountain and trail running community. Oh, look, thanks. Thanks very much uh, for having me here. And uh, it's an honor. And I, I really, um, uh, it's really nice to see these initiatives starting up and, uh, you know, popping up all over the place, uh, new podcasts and uh, enthusiasm for what we do, which is, you know, getting outside and uh, on the trails. And it was actually our guest from episode 16, Jonathan, Mick Kelly, who had your mobile number in his phone and passed it on to me. Now, I'm not too sure how Mick has your phone number in his own phone, but he was kind enough to pass it on. And um, so a big shout out to Mick Kelly. I think he said that he did a warm down with you after maybe one of your world championship wins back around the end of the early 2000s. So I'm not too sure if you remember the warm down that with Mick or not, but Mick said to say hello anyway. Oh, great. Very, very, very happy that he was doing that and thought of me. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm honoured to be here. Well, Jonathan, before we talk about your incredible running career of two Olympic appearances, national records in New Zealand, and of course, six times world mountain running champion. What is life like for you at the moment? I know you're still very much involved in sport, in mountain running, and that you live in Italy, home of the most successful mountain running squads in the history of the sport. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, we've uh, I've been living here in the north part of Italy in the Dolomites for you know, going on, uh, getting up towards 15 years now. So, um, yeah, love the area. Uh, obviously, fantastic for running. Um, thing I just love is being able to you know shut the door and then just choose uh, three or four different directions and different mountains to you know to uh, to get stuck into. So that's you know that's 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 a real real bonus and. Um, uh, and the other thing that um, I'm, you know, as you said, keeping involved with uh, with my passion of running, um, I'm now working for La Sportiva, who are 
actually based literally uh, 10 minutes walk from uh, from my front door as well so um, it's uh, it's been it's been very convenient and it's also the hometown for where my where my wife is from so so having all those things come together has been uh, has been quite uh, quite uh, you know quite quite amazing really and uh, and really fits my lifestyle. <laughs> oh, f- fantastic! But and I know you're a very proud Kiwi as well. And um, have you taken out the Italian passport yet, or are you or are you holding on with pride to that Kiwi passport? <laughs> Oh, I'm hanging on, you know. I've uh, <laughs> I've resisted uh, I resisted change. And, um, now there's you know there's been no 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 need to change uh, change citizenships. Maybe if I was 20 years younger, I'd uh, you know and I, I was knocking on the door of that championship winning Italian team, then uh, <laughs> yeah. maybe I'd be tempted. Um, but uh, we'll, we'll have that discussion with our, our daughter because that's the other thing that's keeping me busy. Sure. But, How old is she now, Jonathan? What, just just over two years old so um she's she's already found her running feet um so uh, not not through my encouragement that's for sure because (laughs) it's going to be hard keeping up with it yeah well it sounds like you're you're busy still running and busy with like la sportiva busy as a dad and then of course very busy as president of the world mountain running association for maybe the last four years and i wanted to ask did you did you always have an interest, Jonathan, in the organize, organizational side of racing and championships? And what was it that made you put your name forward for that very important and prestigious position of president of the World Mountain Running Association? <laughs> yeah, well, um, it's, you know, I don't think I really had, um, you know, when I was racing, I, I never really considered that I would be uh, be in the same role that uh, you know when I first started in the sport, with, which Danny Hughes was uh, um, had really you know he'd really picked up. He was the second uh, WMRA president, and uh, but he was really um, defining what the what the sport was. And um, I never really imagined that I'd be um, you know sitting in the uh, kind of f- filling his shoes uh, you know years years after he was gone, but. Um, um, I think at the time when I joined the council, um, there was a kind of a need to have a bit of a refresh and, uh, and a new approach. And, and um, a few people had already mentioned it to me that, you know, they'd be, they'd be keen to see me on the council. So it, it wasn't something that I would have naturally, you know, said I was ambitious to do. It was more that um, you know, I could see that there was some you know, work that needed to be done, and, um, and 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 could I actually be you know be the person that could that could help move the you know move the sport forward? And it's um, it's been been very challenging, you know, rewarding, but you know also you know quite tough as well because it's probably not my not my um, you know most natural uh, natural thing that uh, that I would do. You know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a runner, you know, one foot in front of the other. So when it comes to organising yeah. races, it's uh, it's it's been it's been tough, but uh, but also rewarding. And how is that first term gone, Jonathan? I think it's the first term up in 2021. And will, will, it, will you be Trump-esque and they'll be looking to get rid of you? Or is it more <laughs> Barack Obama and they'll want you for four more years? Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, I'll, be, I'll, I'll, I'll have, to, have to see if the knives are out for me when we, uh, <laughs> when we have the voting. But um, yeah, look, it's gone, you know, it's gone pretty fast, to be honest. Um, and, and it's been... You know, I think you know. Looking back at you know, just the time that's gone, you know, we've, you know, I've, I've sort of been, you know, been in the position when this, you know, our sport has probably uh, changed the most. 
yeah. it's uh, you know, obviously, obviously we've had to deal in the last uh, you know 15, 16 months with the with the pandemic, and and how we how we react to that. Um, but also in the middle of all of this, um, we've uh, completely changed the world championships for mountain running, and um, yeah. and that's you know that that's a you know a huge uh, a huge change for the sport and and partnering with um, with trail running and having a much closer uh, working relationship on our world championships or world athletics. So um, you know we're putting to putting together the event at literally as we speak. And um, you know it's 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 pretty exciting. You know there's uh, there's there's much bigger budgets involved, um, and and our aim has always been to try and get all of the best you know mountain and trail runners together, uh, and, and and able to you know be in the same event and participate. Yeah, and there's a very strong strategic plan there for the World Mountain Running Association. I was having a look on the website earlier, and it is, it's very ambitious. And I suppose it needs to be, Jonathan, doesn't it? Because it's such a competitive landscape out there at the moment. I mean, you have all these big trail running world series, world tours. We saw the announcement this week with UTMB joining up with Ironman. So when you see news and announcements like that, are you happy that the sport of trail and mountain running is growing? Or are you like thinking, oh, how can we compete with these guys? So it must be mixed, mixed emotions at the moment that the sport is growing, but it's becoming more and more competitive to maybe keep people in, in the mountain running side of it, as opposed to the big ultra world tours. A, a, a difficult balance, maybe. Yeah, I think I think that's been the challenge. Probably, uh, you know, and if I have to, you know, if I have to look back. Uh, I think uh, we, uh, you know, as as the WMRA and, and mountain runners sort of had that opportunity, um, probably about ten to twelve years ago, when um, when trail running was really just starting to grow. And uh, and I think if if our organisation had been a bit more proactive and and uh, and partnering with with trail running early on. Um, I think we'd be in a, in a very different different position. So it, it's been quite tough sort of now, you know, not necessarily playing catch up, but, um, you know, making these, uh, you know, making these connections and these partnerships kind of work for us, uh, you know, sort of a, a long time after, you know, what we, what we probably should have, should have done. So yeah. Yeah. pleasing to see that we're, you know, that we're working towards that and, and, you know, and, and the goal is that, you know, instead of you know, our sport being divided, um, you know, the sport comes together in a, in a more cohesive way. And, yeah. and, and, a, and a, you know, let's, let's say in an in a, in a easier to understand way, because I think for an outsider trying to work out, you know, what is off-road running and, and seeing there's mountain running, sky running, trail running, and then there's a whole bunch of, um, you know, branded, uh, sponsor branded series around the world. Yeah. It's, yeah. uh, it can be a little bit confusing. And I mean, for our listeners, say, Jonathan, that are new to the sport of trail and mountain running, and I must admit that even myself, anytime I mention trail and mountain running, I put trail and mountain, the two words together. Because even myself, I'm not, I don't want to leave one word out, um, whether it's mountain running or trail running. For me, it's kind of the same. And I don't know, is there a definition for you of what mountain running is? As opposed to to what trail running is, is mountain running maybe the the shorter, more classic 
distances, the the quick 12K races, the 10K races, high intensity, quick and fast, as opposed to the trail ultra side of things. Would that be a fair way of defining the two? <laughs> I, th- I think um, I-, I think we you, you know should come back to the the word mountain because uh, really mountain running has a significant elevation difference over the, over the course. Um, and and look, you know, we we wouldn't limit ourselves just to the shorter distances, but uh, you know, traditionally um, our sort of core distances have been around that twelve to fifteen kilometer, you know, classic. You know, we call it the classic distance. Uh, and then, of course, we've had our, our world long distance mountain running too, which has always been around the marathon distance or a little bit over. So, yeah. you know, typically, you know, mountain races would be under 50 kilometers. Um, but I think the key key point about a mountain race is it really uh, it does have that uh, significant elevation up and down. You know, otherwise, you know, it's it, it becomes a hilly cross country race, and 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 there are plenty of trail races which are. Um, which are shorter than a marathon distance, for example, um, and, and would, you know, could be a, a mountain running distance, but because of the elevation, uh, you know, that uh, you still wouldn't think of them as a mountain race unless, unless they're particularly hilly. And would you find, Jonathan, that the World Mountain Running Association, is it geared towards the more high-level elite international runner? Or are you trying to involve the average mountain and trail runner as well? What's your vision on that? Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, traditionally, very, very strong um, links to the federations and, and of yeah. course, to World Athletics themselves. Uh, and that's, that's definitely something um, that's going to continue. Um, but I think, you know, ex- exactly as you kind of point out here that um, we've fallen down a little bit in terms of not engaging enough with the mass participation. And that's where, where trail running has really kind of uh, taken, you know, taken a big step forward. Um, what, we, what we're putting a lot of effort into now is to really bringing up the level of our, our World Cup series um, to to really engage with the mass participation and, and, and bring mountain running to the, to the forefront again in terms of, you know, in terms of visibility. So we're, we're partnering, we're really trying to work hard to partner with really the best kind of mountain races that we can find around the world to, to bring them into the World Cup and to have a really good quality series. Um, not, not just, you know, focusing on the elite, but, um, but also, you know, in, engaging with the with the with the amateur runners, let's say that are you know that are participating at the event. So, so there's a lot more awareness about about mountain running and, and what we do. And I've seen it, Jonathan, over the last couple of years. I mean, there's there's been a big effort. Say, for example, one area, social media. I, I think you know the World Mountain Running Association has really upped their game, social media wise. It's so important these days, isn't it, to get your message out to runners all over the world. You've got your social media channels now, you know, on point. You have your athlete commission, the website. And then, of course, I suppose engagement with the local representative bodies. And in Ireland, it's IMRA as well. So you can see the different areas that you have and that you're working on and that have been improved to try and um, involve everybody a lot more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, 
you know, I'll, I'll, I'll pass those good comments on to Kirsty, our social media manager, because she'll be very, very happy that you. Yeah, said. no, it's been great, and you can see, Jonathan. I mean, the, the big improvements um, that, have, that have happened over the last while. I mean, before certainly maybe five or six years ago, you know, you wouldn't have noticed much, but now there's lots of good content, lots of good photos, video content, information, and that's all part of it, isn't it? That's all how to encourage people into our sport to educate people in in the techniques of mountain and trail running as well and and social media is such an easy way of doing it yeah yeah absolutely power a powerful tool um and 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 it's you know we've got a lot of projects that we'd like to do as well uh you know but we are you know we are just eight people on the council and um you know this year uh, apart from Kirsty, who's been involved with us for the past two and a half years um, doing the social media and, and writing for our website, uh, the news articles. Um, with this year, for the first time, we've, we've employed uh, three, three new people in contract positions. So we have uh, now a dedicated World Cup manager to, to, you know, to really give a good service to the, both the athletes and the races and, 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 and really set up some good um, media content over the World Cup. So we, we just announced that that position, and um, we've also just launched in the last uh, last couple of weeks um, our new uh, World Mountain Running Ranking website. So this is this is a brand new uh, project which we've which we've 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 been working on for the past uh, two years uh, or even longer. That um, why don't we have a, a way that we can we can tell people who are the best mountain runners in the world? Um, you know, it's a kind of a simple question, but it's something we, we haven't been able to answer until now. Um, I mean, we've always had our world champions uh, at our world championships, but, but who would be the best mountain runners over, over a full year, over a full season? So now with the, with the world ranking, um, um, world mountain running ranking that we, that we now have, uh, we've already... Um, We've already got more than a hundred races in the system that we that we select, and um, and the, and there's no we don't ask for anybody to pay to be in the in the in the in the ranking system. So it's all based on on the best races that we select, and um, and we um, we're able to now have a have a method of of defining who are the best mountain runners. So that's a super exciting um, initiative and. And again, another way of engaging with our community and to uh, and to really, you know, help to promote uh, to pr- promote what we do. And we were very excited, Jonathan, when we saw two Irish athletes in those rankings when they were published there a couple of weeks ago. Sarah McCormick, of course, the, the World Cup trophy winner from 2019. I think Sarah is currently in third spot. And Zach Hanna, um, a, a fantastic young talent, is fifth, I think, in those rankings. And um, Zach is actually moving over to Italy, Jonathan. So he'll be a neighbor of yours over there. He's, he's um, pursuing the dream. He's going to try and be... The, the best that he can be and no better place to, to train and work hard to be a, a world-class um, mountain runner than, than close to you there in Italy. Yeah, good on, good on him. You know, look, um, you know, we, we're still, you know, it, it's a, it's a very much a work in progress. We're really excited about what we're able to do with this, uh, with the, with the ranking, um, you know, and if you, if you want to look for the, uh, look for the website, just uh, look up ranking.wmra.info. Uh, and you'll you'll find the site and um yeah so there's new new more and more races going into the system all the time and um it's 
you know, it, it will be a little bit, um, let's, let's not say strange, but, um, you know, the COVID has, uh, will have an effect on, on the ranking because uh, when races are cancelled, uh, maybe in, in one area, uh, if races are still going ahead, for example, in Italy, uh, then, you know, you will see a, a kind of a skew towards, you know, maybe the runners that are able to do their races versus the runners that aren't. Um, but that's, you know, that's, you know, that, that's a short term uh, that's a short-term issue, and um, we're certainly not alone in that in that situation. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's it's super cool, and actually, just you know, to see how the ranking changes as well, because uh, the ranking itself is based on a um, on a rolling 365-day rank. So what that means is um, we take all of the race results in the past 365 days, and then as we move forward in the year. Uh, once they once they go beyond that 365 days, those races drop off, uh, and so you'll see you know you'll see people that have raced more recently that uh, that are able to get a higher ranking versus you know, ones that maybe had good results in the past but haven't raced much in the you know uh, through uh, for this year um, uh, are, are not uh, kind of slipped down the ranking. So it's kind of seeing yeah, kind of fun to see the the changes you know happening on a, on a on a weekly basis. I suppose it's one way of maybe creating new heroes and new legends, Jonathan, isn't it? Because, I mean, every sport has their celebrities, their, their heroes that people look up to and are motivated by. I mean, football, let's just throw, you know, Messi and Ronaldo out there. Kids love watching them play. And I suppose if you have a ranking system like that, you know, the, the, the average runner out there can see who the best runners in the world are. And say in our case, we can see Zach on it and we can see Sarah on it. And, you know, maybe seeing two Irish names can inspire the other Irish runners to go on and maybe try and make that ranking one day or try and be the best runner that they can be. So, yeah, it it sounds great. And the more famous our our mountain runners are and, you know, we can make them become household names, well, then it's great for everybody, isn't it? And it helps attract sponsors it helps encourage people to participate more so it's a great idea yeah yeah look you know it's and it's also you know it's also a really good service for the athletes themselves because look you know you know sarah could go to a sponsor and say look you know i'm i'm currently ranked third in the world for mountain running and you know here's the you know here's the evidence and um and if i if i open her uh, open her profile page because every athlete automatically has their own profile page generated and yeah. what that also shows you, it actually shows her best ranking um, during the past twelve months, which she was number one ranked. Uh, whereas now, because you know, she, because she hasn't done so many races this year, she slipped down to number three. And yeah. then it also shows her best lifetime ranking, which of course is also number one. So yeah. you know, it's 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 a powerful tool. And then below that, yeah, you, she could she also has all of her race results uh, shown um for 2020 and 2019 so um yeah. so yeah it's a it's quite a powerful tool uh, and, and i think you know we we, we really wanted also ma- you know bring a good service for the athletes themselves where you know where they could help to you know use this ranking to promote themselves yeah and before maybe we move on jonathan to your own fantastic running career a, a last question in this particular segment and um, you, you mentioned one of the great advantages that the world mounting and running association has is its close ties over the decades with the athletics federations of each country it's something that all the other um, tours and race series don't have and so my, my question is and it's something that myself and you know my, my running friends 
fans over the last 10 or 15 years in Ireland who have been on Irish teams have always dreamt about is do you think that there's a day coming soon when we might see mountain running in the Olympic Games? <laughs> I was waiting for that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, hey, look, um, I, I think we're in a good position to be, to be one of the first. Uh, and I think that's that's also kind of the the strategy with um, w- with having this much closer relationship with world athletics and partnering with trail running um, uh, for our world championships is is by creating a much bigger event uh, we can really showcase uh, to a much wider audience you know what our sport is about so so that's that's kind of the you know I wouldn't say that's the end game but you know that's that's a path that we would, you know, that we would welcome, um, you know, to be able to present, you know, our, our sport as an Olympic sport, as, as long as, uh, you know, as long as we're not, um, I mean, we're not prepared to compromise the values of our, uh, of what we do. And that means uh, that uh, when we do a mountain race, we race in the mountains and, and not on some kind of artificially manufactured uh, for TV kind of, yeah. <laughs> kind of course. Yeah. And I know, Jonathan, as well, that you're you're very keen to promote Masters mountain running as well. And there's some great Masters mountain running championships every year as well. And that's another brilliant part of the sport. And it's funny because Ireland always sends fantastic teams over to the Masters mountain running championships. So I think they're on in Austria this year. So with a bit of luck, we might have a couple of teams going over. Well, that's right, and um, yeah, masters have always done been been done really well for us. Uh, yeah. Really, really good, uh, enthusiastic participation, and I think there's always a draw card of of, of competing in a world championship event because it is a, a world masters championship, uh, and then um, you know the option to compete uh, with your you know with your national team colours as well as a masters runner. I think has a big big draw card. Uh, and, and of course, we're um, we're off to Ireland uh, next year for the Masters. Yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, just just to say to the listeners, Jonathan, as well, that for these Masters Championships, you don't need to qualify. So if you ever dreamt of of wearing a, an Irish singlet or, or whatever country you're from, I know Rene, our coach in the show is from Denmark. He's dreaming of wearing his, his Danish singlet next year in Ireland that um, that you can run for your country without having to go through an Olympic qualification process. So they really are great championships. Yeah, that's right. You know, there, there's a really nice balance between, you know, there's there's always the, you know, everybody want, wants to race as hard as they can, but there's always such a such an incredibly, incredibly nice atmosphere. And, um, you know, they, I know there's, there's been you know, a lot of disappointment last year that the, the championships weren't able to take place um, because, uh, you know, it's, it's like a, uh, an annual get together for a lot of these runners that, that maybe only see each other for one, once a year because they're coming from all over the world. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're, um, we, we postponed last year's masters championships, uh, uh to this year. So they're still going to be, be held in, in Austria. And, yeah. um, and we asked our, uh, our Irish organizers if they would be also prepared to, to postpone their championship by one year. And, yeah. um, and they, they agreed and, um, you know, it's been a really, um, you know, it's, it's been a nice, easy, uh, working relationship with, uh, with, with both organizers, both in Austria and, uh, and our, our host for next year in Ireland. 
Brilliant. Well, speaking of the Olympics, Jonathan, and representing your country, you are lucky enough to represent New Zealand in two Olympic Games, in Atlanta and in Athens, in the 5,000 metres in one, and of course in the marathon as well, where you came 21st with, with two hours and 17 minutes. I'm sure you could probably write a book on, on your Olympic experiences, but what are your your standout memories, Jonathan, from, from those two Olympic appearances? Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, very, very different. Um, yeah, really, I was you know pretty new onto the international running scene. Uh, first time out in '96 uh, in, in Atlanta, and and I guess you know probably my strongest memory from the race uh, was was you know I was, I was in the 5,000 meters, and at that time, you know, we had, there were five, there were there were three rounds for the 5,000 meters, so um, that just doesn't exist anymore. They they have a semi final and a final now, but. But back then uh, there were heats, semis, and a final, and um, and the disappointment was I missed out on the final by one place. But um, you know my, my my overwhelming memory was walking out on the on the on the stadium, a hundred thousand people. You know my parents were there in the crowd, and um, uh, our race was just a, uh, our semi final was just a few minutes after Michael Johnson had broken the two hundred meter world record. You know so. Wow. The crowd was going nuts. He was still, you know, doing his uh, victory lap, you know, and throwing his shoes into the crowd and that sort of thing. As as I walked out, you know, trying to trying to concentrate on my semi final race, but uh, yeah, um, that was just, you know, that was just such a, you know, you know hairs on the back of the neck, uh, uh, standing up sort of moment, and uh, and and definitely the the strongest memory from from that event. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, very, very different in um, in, in um, looking forward uh, to Athens because um, you know that was eight years later. Um, I was well into my mountain running at that point, uh, and I was just sort of questioning whether I I wanted to be a mountain runner or, or still concentrate on on road and track running, and um, and I, I think I was definitely moving towards uh, you know my. my the mountains were distracting me much, much, much more strongly than the than the road running was. So I was, you know, I was kind of thinking that possibly, you know, that that would be my last Olympics, uh, you know, because I was enjoying the mountain running so much, um, mm. and um, and I really just wanted to, you know, put you know put everything into that, you know, into that performance. And um, it, it was it was a tough race. It's a hilly course in Athens. Uh, very very hot weather. Um, you know those those that remember the the race itself will probably remember it for um, for one one crazy spectator who will remain nameless <laughs> rushing out and uh, yeah, sure and, uh, and 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 rugby tackling the the leader uh, at, <laughs> at the race. Of course, I was totally unaware of that because I was still a few minutes further back down the road. But um, but yeah, you know it was the original marathon course, wasn't it? You know, so you know that's yeah. where the name marathon comes from. So we started in the town of Marathon, and um, yeah, we did. Uh, you know, we we did the. Well, it's really only um, about forty k, isn't it, from Marathon through to Athens? Uh, so I, I distinctly remember we did this kind of this extra dog leg. It was, they weren't very inventive. They just we just did a straight out and back to add on that extra bit. You know, which uh, again, those that know the Olympic story. Um, know that the marathon distance was was lengthened. Uh, yeah, the it was it was pretty special running that original course and then finishing in the uh, you know in that original Olympic Stadium in uh, in, in Athens, which um, you know it's an, it's an incredible little track. It's actually a proper running track, but the bends are literally uh, you know about 
you know, doing a whole bend is less than 50 meters. It's, uh, and then you have these really long straights. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And were you happy, Jonathan, with how the race went on the day? I mean, 21st in the Olympic Games, a fantastic result. And yeah. were you happy with your build up and your execution on race day? Yeah, look, I think I think I got everything out of myself that, that, that I could on the day. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was I was probably, you know, thinking, you know, you know, if, if things went really well, top 20, um, you know, would, would be a great, a great effort. And I, you know, I did sort of struggle uh, in the middle part of the race. Um, but, you know, once it got a little bit, you know, um, once it got a little bit hillier, I was actually <laughs> moving a bit better, funnily enough. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, we, when I finished the race, I, you know, I thought, well, you know, I really, you know, really had a great experience. But I think it was a nice to put, you know, put that as a finishing, finishing touch, you know, really a finishing touch on my on my road, you know, my international road running career at that point, because, um, you know, I was, you know, I, I've been been a runner for, you know, for, for many, many years. And I was ready to kind of, you know, concentrate on on the new direction of, of off-road running at that point. So it was yeah, it, was, yeah, it, was it was an amazing combination, Jonathan. And I don't know if there were any other athletes at the time, male or female, that were Olympians from the track and from the road, but were also top class mountain runners as well. Were you in a, an elite one person club or <laughs> were there two or three at the time that were mixing the two? Yeah, there's been a few. There's been a few, and actually, um, you know, uh, I was at the you know, in Athens. Actually, another mountain runner was also at the Olympics as well. That was Anna Anna Pikatova. Okay. Um, uh, she's she's Anna Strakova now from uh, uh, from the Czech Republic. So so she was uh, you know she was in the same position. Andrea Meyer has also um, also competed in the Olympic Games as well. Okay. Um, we have a bit of history actually with mountain runners uh, doing well on the international scene because. Um, I don't know if you know uh, the, the Brownlee brothers. Uh, from yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. They competed at the World Championships uh, for mountain running as, as junior runners uh, and then went on to do great things in triathlons. So. And I know the, the Irish um, national marathon champion, Stephen Scullion, he was a junior international mountain runner as well. Sorry, a senior international mountain runner. He was in the World Championships with us in 2012 in Italy. And of course, he's going on to run for Ireland in the marathon in the Olympics this year as well. So yeah, there, there's, a few, there's a few out there that can combine the two. And I was going to ask you, Jonathan, as well, about... Um, your training in New Zealand, because of course, New Zealand has such a rich history of great coaches and great athletics tradition. Of course, we remember um, battles of John Walker and Eamon Coughlin on the track. And then of course, the great coach, Arthur Lydiard. And I wanted to ask, did, did Arthur Lydiard have any influence on your own training or what were the key principles of your training that just made you so successful? Yeah, I, absolutely. I, Arthur Lydiard is, is uh, I, I think, for every long distance runner coming out of New Zealand, uh, owes a bit of a, a bit of a debt to you know to his his research and to his uh, you know, to his methods of training. Um, and certainly, uh, you know, certainly, you know, the training that I did was was influenced by uh, by Arthur. Um, actually, uh, you know, I met him met him a couple of times uh, and. Uh, and uh, I remember him giving a giving a talk, and I was still um, I think I was only fifteen, you know, fifteen or sixteen at the time, and uh, it, it was after one of the cross country championship races, and he was giving a talk to to a bunch of a uh, bunch of people in the evening, and 
and uh, and and the one person he uh, you know he highlighted for the race, he said, "Oh, that Jonathan White, and I think he's going to do well." <laughs> Didn't know I was there. I was there in the audience listening to him. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, so you, uh, you could you could you could probably pick them as well. Um, but yeah, and and then of course you know as you mentioned, you know just a great um, middle and long distance uh, running tradition, you know, in, in New Zealand, and it's um, you know quite inspirational to. To kind of you know be able to meet you know quite a few of those people through you know while I was while I was growing up and uh, and getting more more interested in competitive running. You think, Jonathan, that it was a combination of maybe natural talent and then hard training and and maybe if you had three or four key principles of your training that we could share with the listeners to help them in their own training, whether it's on the road, on the trails, key sessions or key techniques that you had key strategies that you had in your training was it high mileage was it a combination of mountains and road just just to get a, a brief overview yeah sure sure I, I think i think you know for for every you know you know there's there's so few people that you know really have all the ingredients to become you know to become an to become a champion uh i think you know you touched on a, on a couple but uh, you know, for sure, you know, there, there's a, it's a combination of natural talent, you know, determination, uh, training, you know, that, that work, work ethic um, and, and possibly even a little bit of luck, you know, thrown in as well in, in terms yeah. of opportunities. But, um, yeah, I, I think I was I was kind of lucky that um, where, where I grew up, uh, I spent a, many years uh, with where we uh, we had a house on the on the top of a, a subdivision and um, and you know over the back fence was uh, uh, was you know, literally a hundred kilometers of, of native bush and trails and uh, and and farmland to to go out and run on so um, I sort of you know from a very early age uh, I was I was far more interested in, in off road running and. Um, and I think you know throughout my career, I think it's benefited me in terms of re- remaining relatively relatively injury free. That you know my, most of my my training has been on on softer ground and varied terrain. Uh, even when I was training for track and road, you know long runs were always always off road just because that's what I you know that's what I preferred to do and um, that's that's what I enjoyed the most. And I think I think that's a big takeaway from you know from you know. In terms of longevity of, of running is you know to, to have that variation of terrain uh, rather than you know um, even even running running in parks is you know is 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 better than nothing but just going up and down hills and uh, you know that variation of, of speed and effort uh, over over terrain I think is, is a help you know no matter what uh, type of running you're doing I think uh, mm. I think that's that's one 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 sort of training uh training tip i would give um yeah it's another example jonathan isn't it that that running in the mountains and off-road it it won't affect your speed it can even add to your speed and make it stronger and i know one of our famous coaches in ireland jerry kiernan who unfortunately passed away this year and he was a big believer in doing hill sessions and when i was part of his group and back in 2010 getting ready for the track season every saturday morning he'd have us up doing two minute hill reps on the hills out just outside Dublin and he'd have his track group doing that from maybe January to May before doing the specific work on the on the track so anybody who might think that they might lose speed and um, for the road or for the track by by training on the mountains not at all it can add to it 
No, no, absolutely. It's you know, it's it's, it's strength and and power as well. You know, you know, explosive power. You can do you know even even some quite intense uh, you know sort of very track specific sessions on the hill in terms of bounding, for example. You know, it's uh, you know that, that that's more of an you know I would say a more of an advanced session. But um, yeah, hills have always been you know a key component for you know for I would say most of most top track runners, and it's you know, definitely something that. That Arthur Lydiard um, was a, was a big proponent of as well. You know, throughout the winter, he had uh, he had Peter Snell, you know, you know the <laughs> the champion eight and fifteen hundred meter runner doing you know twenty miles on a <laughs> around the Waitarua circuit out the back of Auckland. You know, every yeah. every Sunday morning, uh, yeah. and that was just to build up those base miles and uh, and you could see it in his races where um, you know he wasn't uh, you know he he was able to hold his form you know down the down the home straight in a you know, in, in a sprint finish on an 800 meter race, you know, and that was that was having all of that uh, that leg strength and, uh, and 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 base fitness. Yeah, well, I've got a book here on my desk beside me, Jonathan M. Healthy Intelligent Training by a fellow Kiwi, Keith Livingston. I'm sure you, you've you've seen it before, and and that book goes through all of the the key principles of Arthur Lydiard's training, and it's a book that I'd recommend to, to everybody. And I'm sure you've probably used a lot of the techniques and training principles um, that that Keith goes through. <laughs> yeah, look, it's interesting. It's, it's funny, you know. I pick up I pick up a few books. Um, you know, and, and the other one is um, um, I haven't quite managed to get through it yet, but the, you know, is, is is the law of running, um, yeah. and uh, and you know some of the things that he kind of mentions early on. Um, I was like, I oh, actually I did that. I didn't really know <laughs> why I was doing. It. I'm not necessarily why, but you know, I kind of knew you know that it was good. But you know, he could he can now back it up in terms of scientific uh, you know explanation about about why that sort of training you know was working, and um, you know, but you know, it, it shouldn't be. I don't think it should be complicated or uh, uh, you know for people. I, I always you know when I'm coaching people, um, I, I try to break down the the, the season in terms of uh, periodization and and always ensuring that there's a there's a period of uh of base work early on uh volume and then moving into the the endurance and speed endurance phase and then and then the and then the you know the race specific and and, and speed work phase you know depending on on the, on the distances uh you know that that my athletes are being trained for but um yeah i think you know it's it, it's 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 relatively straightforward uh you know it doesn't need to be you know it doesn't now, there's a lot of science out there, but um, you know, I, I sort of go go from a lot of my own experience and a, and a keep it simple kind of approach as well. Was there a favourite session that you had, Jonathan? Were you a, a tempo run man, or were you a two true. minute on, one minute off type of guy? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it was a favourite session to do, but uh, it was it was definitely a, what we call a bread and butter session. Um, so it was a, yeah. there's a there's a workout we'd often do on a Saturday morning, uh, and I was always on the same course. Uh, around um, around the coastline of the bays in Wellington, uh, where I grew up, and uh, um, it was just we just called it an eight by three session. So what it effectively was was uh, you run uh, eight times three minutes, and you have a, a two minute float between each of the each of the three minutes. And um, yeah, I mean when you're really really fit and you know you're fit, you know your your two minute float uh, is basically you know not that. Um, it, 
not that far away from three minute Ks. Um, so that's when you know you're doing, <laughs> you're, you're in good yeah. form. <laughs> yeah. And of course, that, that good form that you had, you, you used it, Jonathan, to win eight World Mountain Running Grand Prix titles, six World Championship wins. And I'm conscious of time. It's a Friday night when we're recording and we've been chatting for an hour or so. And, you know, it, it's impossible maybe to go through all six World Championship wins. So I might just ask, Jonathan, which one is maybe your favorite and maybe that's hard to choose or or which which one of the six was your hardest to win the one that you took the most satisfaction from yeah look you know it could, could probably break break it down into you know probably probably the three main ones but the first one was 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 interesting on la reunion island uh it was just such a stunning you know backdrop and location to to run and and, and just to just to visit you know a place which I'd never really heard of before out in the Indian Ocean, but just in an absolutely magical location. Uh, it was my it was it was my first ever mountain race, uh, other than the 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 national New Zealand national champs which I'd had earlier in the year. And so after doing that race in 1998, uh, I thought, wow, if this is mountain running, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm keen to do do a bit more. So that was you know winning that first world title there, uh, being an absolute unknown in the sport uh, was was. Was something uh, was something pretty magical, and, and of course, I never had that unknown status again, unfortunately. Um, yeah. But um, you know, probably looking back in terms of you know, one of the favourite moments was was running a world cha- mountain running championships in in my hometown of Wellington. So yeah. um, you know, that was uh, you know that was in two thousand and five, and and that was just amazing having having really an incredible you know sort of public support out there on. You know, on our local uh, mountain, which is you know effectively in the middle of the city uh, on Mount Victoria, um, and we literally had you know if you ever get to see some of the photos or, or some of the footage of that race, it's pretty uh, you know it was pretty amazing just to see the the public support out there. So so that was incredible. Um, yeah. I have to say, well, the was there any extra pressure? Well, I'm sure there was extra pressure, Jonathan, 2005, being the hometown boy, you know, a lot of weight on your shoulders to deliver that day. You did. Um, actually, I just pulled up the results in the, here in front of me. You beat two strong Italians by the looks of it. Yeah, um, I'm sure that was a tough, tough race for you. Um, fantastic that it was at home. But yeah. it must have been an incredible race to to handle the stress, the pressure, and then to go out and perform. Yeah, look, look, it was well, it was it was funny. I, I didn't feel it. I really didn't. Um, it was. Uh, I mean, I, I knew I was in great shape. I think that that always helps. But um, I, I I I was literally doing like everybody, you know, all of the other European runners, you know, because I'd I'd flown back to Wellington to to do the race. Um, so I hadn't sort of been, you know, been there for the whole time, you know, when there was all the kind of build up that was happening for it. And, um, and so, you know, I, I literally, you know, flew in, uh, you know, had, you know, had a, a week to 10 days there, uh, and, and did the race. So it was, it was kind of familiar in terms of any other race that I'd done. Uh, and I just sort of put myself in that kind of, in that, in that kind of zone, um, and, and didn't really um yeah it, i don't think it ever really has affected me that much through my my career in terms of you know pressure uh, i yeah. think it's more the more the pressure i put on myself um and i i didn't i i always try to block out anything i can't control and um you know sort of having external pressure by running at home wasn't uh, you know wasn't a thing for me i was sort of you know more of the celebration of 
of having the chance to do it, you know, and and the opening ceremony, uh, you know, walking down the main street of our, you know, of, of our capital city, uh, you know, that had all been closed off for uh, for the mountain runners to do, you know, to do their uh, um, opening ceremony was, you know, was just, you know, it was just amazing, um, you know, a magical magical moment and. Um, you know, looking back, I'm pleased that I pulled it off, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, of course, you went on to win that final um, world title in 2008 and held off the charge of the Africans who were coming more and more into the sport. Um, you beat a Ugandan, I think, on the day. Um, Martin Torre, Tich, I can just see here on the results. So um, I'm sure there must have been great satisfaction then to get your sixth title. Yeah, and, and, and I was just, you know... Uh, uh, it was it was that was the hardest one um you know the, the last one uh, because uh it was definitely not a you know not a sure thing i think you know i was i was a little i was less confident going going into it uh in terms of the you know the build up that i'd had and um and throughout the race you know it just it just wasn't a good race for me i just wasn't feeling comfortable the whole way and i was i was you know i was quite far back uh back in the pack and then it wasn't until the last, literally the last kilometer. Uh, and to be honest, the course didn't help. You know, here, here, here all the excuses coming out. <laughs> but the uh, the course just wasn't very steep. Uh, and it was only in the last kind of K and a half that it really sort of ramped up towards the finish area. And I, you know, just sort of remember looking up, and and it was a couple of the Italians that were kind of, you know, were, were kind of were cheering for me and saying, oh, you know, first is not far ahead of you, sort of thing. And then you know, sort of looking up, it's like, wow, he's, you know. He, he wasn't too far away and and you know literally caught him in the last eight eight hundred meters and wow fantastic yeah using your old track speed well yeah yeah i don't know about the you know i was and again that was one of the things is is by that point of my career it was my uphill running that was my strength uh, and it was only because it was steep at the end that i was able to able to win it you know if, okay. if it hadn't been that steep uh, there's there's no way i would have uh, i would have done it Whereas you know the first world mountain running championships that I that I went to, it was my speed that was my strength. You know that was the difference between me and the other mountain runners. But by yeah. the end of it, uh, I had to rely on on uh, on the on the uphill strength. So it it, it went uh, it flipped <laughs> flipped around. <laughs> well, well, listen, Jonathan, it's been an absolute pleasure to to go down memory lane with you today and relive some of those moments when you were champion of the world on six occasions. So thanks a million for your time and and sharing those memories with us. And and you know, good luck with everything as you prepare and plan for Thailand in November. I know lots of Irish people would love a holiday abroad. So if anybody's listening and has a love for mountain and trail running and would like to see a, a wonderful new championship with all the different distances combined, we might see everybody over in Thailand in November. Oh, that would be great. And it's going to be a real festival over there as well. So you know, there's, there's not only our, our own world championship events, there's going to be a lot of mass participation races. Um, World Athletics is holding uh, one of the you know, quite important conferences over there. So yeah, it's really shaping up to be something something quite special. And um, you know, we're we're, we're you know we're, we're very hopeful that the situation will allow us to do it. And uh, every indication uh, that we have at the moment says you know we're we've got the green light and we're 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 going full steam ahead for it. Brilliant. And sure, if we don't see you in Thailand, Jonathan, we'll see you in Ireland definitely in 2022. And we look forward to having a good party then.
Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the only reason why we gave it to the Irish. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we knew it would be a good party. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Okay, well, listen, Jonathan, take care, look after yourself. All the best with everything with the World Mountain Running Association as well. Well done on all your fantastic work there. Good luck in the elections if you put yourself forward again for another four years, and then we'll talk to you very, very soon. Pleasure to be here. I hope you enjoyed that everyone a big thank you to Rene Borg as always from Running Coach Ireland and a special thank you indeed to Jonathan for joining us on this week's podcast and sure there's the holiday sorted for us mountain runners for this year by November hopefully such a thing as freedom of movement and international travel will hopefully be back strong and a trip to Thailand to see the world mountain running championships and of course hopefully seeing a super squad of Irish runners over there would be an amazing trip to end the year one final bit of news to share this week guys is that our in-house nutritionist evan lynch has organized a special nutritional webinar based around trail and mountain running for thursday the 20th at 8 p.m on zoom where evan will discuss and analyze the very best nutritional strategies for us trail and mountain runners for training racing and day-to-day life entry to the webinar is only 10 euros places are limited so do please sign up early if you can and there is a link to the booking portal on the trail running ireland social media feeds and evans pages too let's call it a wrap for today everyone and looking forward to chatting more next time and hearing about those group training sessions all back again everybody getting out onto the mountains no matter what part of the country you are in so everyone let's get your running gear on let's go 